stronger together. Ladies and gentlemen, very deep, deep base of Graham Maybe. This is Graham Maybe, bassist extraordinaire. I've played with Shania Twain. But believe me, folks, it can't compare to an evening with Scott Einhorn on WRSU-FM in New Brunswick. Celebrating 45 years on the FM dial, this is WRSU-FM, New Brunswick. Good afternoon, Rutgers. It's 78 degrees and partially cloudy on College Ave. I'm Connor Cullinane, and this is WRSU News at 6. After years of planning, Rutgers New Brunswick recently opened up a one-stop student services center to improve the student experience. The one-stop provides student services in the areas of financial aid, student accounts, and registration, both remotely and at a new walk-in site in Proctor Hall on Bush Campus. The center staff have been answering questions via email throughout the pandemic, and the new walk-in area has served hundreds of students since opening August 9th. In headlines concerning the state, federal officials are warning of a, quote, dire situation that is likely to get worse as they explain details of a $16 billion plan to lessen Back Bay flooding, one of the major sources of storm damage at the Jersey Shore. At an online public hearing yesterday, officials with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers answered questions on flooding impacts, environmental effects, navigation, and other concerns. The proposals call for construction of gates across the mouths of three inlets in New Jersey that could be slammed shut when major storms approach, closable barriers that could cut two parts of two bays in half, and the elevation of nearly 19,000 homes. And nationally, former President George W. Bush will headline a fundraiser for top Donald Trump critic Liz Cheney next month. The move turns Cheney's re-election race into a proxy war of sorts between the two ex-presidents who represent two competing factors in the Republican Party. Bush will be the feature guest at the event in Dallas supporting the Wyoming Congresswoman's re-election campaign. That was confirmed by a person familiar with the plans who was not authorized to discuss the fundraiser by name, and spoke on condition of a nominee. Trump was infuriated by Cheney's vote to, to, the, to impeach him over the January 6th insurrection as he, and has endorsed one of her challengers. And now here's a look at your weather forecast. Tonight, expect a low of 71 degrees and scattered showers. Tomorrow, rain, a high of 80, and a flash flood watch is in effect. Tomorrow night, it'll go down to 60 with more rain, and Friday, the flash flood watch remains in effect during the morning, and thunderstorms with a high of 73 is to be expected. And uh, thank you so much for this, uh, for joining us tonight. This is WRCU News at 6. Up next is The Crew on 88.7 FM, New Brunswick. Welcome to the WRSU Crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports from your very own Rutgers Athletics. 
to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe. Coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. And welcome to this star-studded Wednesday edition of The Crew. I'm Dylan McCoy here on the board, joined by my good friends Dylan Allen, Chris Conis, Jack Bashaw back in the studio. Guys, how are you doing today? How is your uh, how is your weeks going so far? You know, I could say I'm uh, overwhelmed, and it's Wednesday, so uh, really good vibes for the rest of the week. But how are you guys doing? I mean, look, we've got Rutgers associate... Uh, head coach for Rutgers women's soccer, Megan Ryan Nemser coming on at 630. We've got Rutgers men's soccer head coach, Jim McKeldry coming on at seven. So this is probably the best mood you'll find me in on a Wednesday crew being, you know, the Rutgers soccer fanatic that I am. Uh, two programs that are, you know, established now in the top 25 in the country, uh, both uh, opening up with big uh, ranked wins in Big Ten play, the women against Penn State, the men against Indiana on the road, um, both with big games coming up the next two days. So, you know, a lot to discuss. I, I'm really excited for this one. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of other stuff to talk about. Rutgers football getting set for a matchup with Michigan. Um, pro sports is always something that sneaks up. And uh, knowing this group, I'm sure we'll find some nonsense to fill time with uh, over the next two hours. So looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm mostly just looking forward to that Rutgers game this weekend. Um I don't know. I always, I every time football season comes around with Rutgers, and especially when they're good like they are this year, good start three and zero. They have me invested all the way through. Um, and you know, every time I get a chance to go to their practices and, and conduct some interviews, whatever, it just it just it even hypes me up even more. So I'm just I am most excited for the game on Saturday. I think Vegas is really really just not giving us any credit with their betting line, and we'll go over that if we get to locks of the week later on in the show, but. Plus 20, man. I look at that, and I just say they're really counting us out, and I think this team has a chance to compete. Yeah, Rutgers football is buzzing right now, man. A um, lot of excitement in the program. Not, haven't heard, haven't had this type of excitement in a couple of years now. First three, no stars since 2012. Um, they're in the news for good and for bad right now. And, um, you know, just looking, looking forward to the game on Saturday. Very, uh, very, po- very politically correct answer there, Jack. I, 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 I appreciate <laughs> that. But, um, yeah, Rutgers going to be down probably a starter on Saturday. But, you know, still one of the better teams they've had in the past decade. I mean, the defense is one of the top turnover-causing defenses in the entire country. The offense, you know, really put – I think we can all agree they really put it together against Delaware. Noah Vedral's best game. You know, he went 21 of 25 for, like, 320 and four touchdowns. And, you know, say which will, it was against Delaware. We, we should have done that to Delaware. But – it was an important get-right game for the whole team, and, you know, they needed their best performance going into Michigan if they were going to have a chance, and I agree with you, Dylan. You know, I, I think, I don't remember what I was seeing the spread out. It was either 18 or 19. I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm in New Jersey, so I can't bet on Rutgers, but... Yeah, that makes two of us. It kind of, it, it sucks. Yeah, it's it's it, it's quite unfortunate, but, you know, I definitely think that, um, I think this matchup is going to be a lot like last year. You know, it was a it was a shootout. It was two teams really playing each other competitively. And I think, you know, the only thing that might could very possibly make a difference is obviously Rutgers going to the big house, playing in front of a hundred thousand people. I think that's always a little bit uh, intimidating, you know. But want to take it to you guys. You know, what do you what do you guys really think is going to happen on Saturday? Because you know we can be. We can be as pro Rutgers as we want here, but, you know, I, I have to ask you guys for the truth. I need the truth. I can handle the truth. Do you want to know the truth? 
I do want to know the, the truth. The truth is that the one thing that concerned me in the win against Delaware was the run defense. And what also concerns me is the fact that Michigan happens to be one of the best rushing teams in the country. And, you know, they have a philosophy where they emphasize running the football. And uh, Jim Harbaugh said, essentially, you know, when we can get it done on the ground, we're going to get it done on the ground. Um, he also had some weird uh, analogy about George Patton, which I didn't fully understand, but whatever. Um, but the point remains that this is a team that likes to, you know, gain yardage on the ground. They're very good at doing it. And Rutgers, you know, at least from what we saw, hasn't been a great run-stopping unit. Now, if they're forced to go to the air, I still think that, you know, the secondary has some pieces that can compete. Um, as we know, Max Melton probably not going to uh, probably not going to play in this game uh, for reasons not related to on-field performance. But the fact remains that, you know, it, it's really just going to come down to can the defense get them to the fourth quarter. That's what Greg Shannon talks about day in and day out. Um, that's what the players talk about day in and day out in the Big Ten is can you get to the fourth quarter with a chance to win? Because once you can, anything's possible. And for Rutgers to do that, they have no choice but to substantially improve in the run defense uh, department um, this Saturday compared to last Saturday. And while that's a good point, Chris, um, I did the math in my head. The, the starting running back for Delaware, he ended up with 127 yards total on the ground on 15 carries. His longest run was 71 yards, and many people would say, you know, if it wasn't for that big run, he, he wouldn't have had that big of a game. But, you know, you subtract the 71 from 127, I think you get 56, divide that by 14, you get... Because he had 15 on 127, so I'm just doing 14 runs on 56. That's four yards a carry, and that's still a good amount of yardage per carry. I mean, that's pretty much a first down every three runs, um, and you can't allow that to happen. But what I will say is the defense may not have, and I think we all can agree that the run defense is their biggest strength. Um, even though they struggled with it last game, I think we all can agree that they did They did a good job keeping Delaware out of field goal range and out of the end zone. They played a defense, uh, they, they played the type of defense where they had their struggles at times, but they, they bent, but they didn't break. Um, 13 points given up in the whole in the whole game, and I believe they gave up 10 in one in the first half. So only limiting li- limiting them to three in the second. Uh, they they probably made some good defensive adjustments second half, um, but it is a little worrisome knowing that Michigan is going to rely on that, and it's and it's going to be interesting to see how Rutgers responds because I'm sure, like the rest of us, they know what Michigan is going to come out with. Um, Jim Harbaugh has made that pretty obvious that they're just going to run the ball. And I wouldn't blame them. They've done really well. They've done done a fantastic job. I believe their their running back Corum is like a Heisman uh, watch. He's on the Heisman watch list right now. So it'll be interesting to see how Rutgers responds to that, knowing what Michigan's going to do going into the game. Yeah, um, I haven't been on crew this entire week, so I'll just offer my quick thoughts on the Rutgers game this uh, for Delaware. And you know, it was nice to see Rutgers finally you know, put together a pretty good performance. I know the run defense was a bit of a problem. Um, Dejon Lee, their running back, I know you guys have talked about him. He was like, he was, I believe he was the runner-up for player of the year in the FCS or their conference. Like, he's a very good player. Like, a very good player. 15 for 130 is a lot, but, you know, at least we were giving it up to a really good player. But, um, you know, it was it was nice to see Rutgers finally put together a good performance. Temple, I mean, we scored 61 points and we beat them down pretty well, but there are times when the offense kind of looks stagnant 
and wasn't really moving the ball. I mean, we forced five turnovers. That was a reason. That was a probably the reason why we won the game by as much as we did against Temple. And of course, Syracuse. You know, that was a you know, it was offensively challenged performance to put it uh, to put it mildly. But it was nice to see the offense move up and down the field. I'm writing the uh, preview for the Michigan game right now for the Targum, and while uh, summing up this game, found that. Five different Scarlet Knights found the end zone, so that was pretty nice. Aaron Cruikshank returned a punt, and Shiano delivered an all-time quote on that on Monday. I mean, that was just a phenomenal quote by Greg Shiano. I mean, he's been bringing out a lot of the quotes. I mean, now, 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 Rutgers, Rutgers uh, fan base is suddenly the biggest buyers of milk in the tri-state area. You know, <laughs> Chris, I think there's a ghost in here. Yeah. Um, some additional oh, lights whoa, just whoa, went on whoa. in Studio A because we're in two rooms. Dylan Allen and I are in. Uh, studio Social A, which distance. is our Nightline studio, and uh, Dylan McCoy and Jack Basea are in the FM studio, and, and some lights in the in Studio A just went on. And I could have swore I heard a door. There's no one else in here. Nope, no doors closed. I would I would have noticed, <laughs> but I heard something. No, no, but just the lights just went on out of nowhere. No one touched a switch. No one did anything. Might be the ghost of uh, Cade McNamara. I don't know why he'd have a ghost. He's starting on Saturday, but... Unfortunately for Rutgers. <laughs> Unfortunately for... He looked pretty good last year. They, he came in uh, in the Rutgers-Michigan game, and, you know, my, my mom gave gave uh, the WRSU people a hard time because they, cu- they couldn't say McNamara. <laughs> Neither could Schmied. I was, it was Schmied and Troy. I felt so no, bad. No, Troy said it. it. Fine. It was Schmied. Uh, it was like McCamera, and I'm like yelling at him in talkback. I'm like, McNamara, McNamara. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's not even that hard of a name. I mean, the I Irish have very pronounceable names. I would you know. I, I think so. I, I agree with that. You know, none of this, like, it's not like it's like, I mean, McCoy is like extremely easy. Allen, also extremely easy. But yeah, you know, I, it definitely, is. I definitely think. <laughs> I definitely think, um, you know, Rutgers going to have to contend with Michigan's offense. But I think the bigger question is if the Rutgers offense can contend with the Michigan defense. Just because, you know, I think out of the two sides of the ball, I am personally more confident in the defense going into Big Ten play. I mean, obviously the offense just came off a great game. Like I said, Vedral had literally four incompletions. He looked like Phil Simms Super Bowl 21 with that completion percentage. But, you know, this is by far the hardest defense they're going to have to play. I mean, they played against Syracuse, and the offense, you know, for lack of a better term, just didn't look great. So I think the biggest issue that Rutgers is going to face in Big House is going to be, you know, can they move the ball, can they get in the end zone, and can they keep Michigan's offense off the field? Because if they let Michigan's offense stay on the field, the defense is going to get worn down. And, And after watching the Giants week one, let Denver have like 40 minutes of possession, when the defense wears down, they could be the best defense in the league. But yeah, you know, if they're tired, they're not going to stop very much. Well, well, that's the other thing too. Is um, you know they are a team that you know if, if defensively. Part of what's going to be the key for Rutgers defensively is how long the offense can stay on the field. As we've learned in years past, even like you know in the Krasash era, there were some games like against Penn State where the defense would keep them somewhat in it. Until they got tired, and then, you know, it just spiraled out of control. Right. I mean, that was when, in, you pointed out, in most games it's in, in the past with Ash, it was just like they would keep us in games, and then after being on the field for 30 straight minutes, you know, they were just like, you know what? We know our offense sucks. There's no point in us playing hard anymore. They're not going to go down and score, keep keep us in the game. Let's just, you know, let's not play as hard as we are. Um, but I think, I think, McCoy, I think that is going to be the point for every game going forward. Those three games that we had in the beginning, the easy ones or the easier ones, 
are now gone and behind us, 3-0. and But now we, we enter Big Ten play, and I think every week when we talk about the next opponent, it's going to be, you know, defense keeps us in games. The offense is what needs to improve. The offense needs to show some life. I, I think that's realistically going to be our conversation every week for this year, and I think it's been the conversation for years. I think that's just how Rutgers football is built. I think they're uh, a team that relies heavily on defense, and, and being able to have that upper upper hand in special teams and having a, a offensive game plan where you're not making mistakes, meaning you're not giving the other team extra opportunities, you're not creating turnovers, but you're scoring whenever you can. And I think realistically, as it pains me to say this, I like to be as optimistic as possible, but I think that's going to be the conversation for the rest of the year. You know, one thing I'll say is that Rutgers needs to come out ready to play. Um, Syracuse, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened in Syracuse. I'm still trying to process that game. But in our two home games, Temple and Delaware, with all the excitement in the building, I mean, everyone was there, right? Everyone was at those two home games. Like, the excitement was crazy. And for Rutgers to come out and be ready to play is a testament to the coaching staff and is a testament to that team. Because, you know, too many times you see, like, okay, the home opener against Temple, like, you see too many teams in a home opener and the first time against fans and like with like two years in a big moment just come out not ready to play um you know just have the jitters or something to get too amped up create penalties or turn the ball over you know you see it plenty of times you know i think it was impressive that Rutgers did not turn the ball over and was able to you know pounce on turnovers and you know you know create opportunities for themselves to win games and you know that's what they're going to have to do against Michigan they're going to have to come out ready to play and if they're not, you know, they they could get smoked. Yeah, and I, I think, too, what will also add to that, not only just the preparation from practices and from film, but I also, today when I was over at the practice complex, I asked Christian Izian, um, you know, I, I brought up the game last year, the triple overtime loss, like that, and I was just like, I asked him straight up, I was just like, you know, does that provide any kind of, like, you know, turmoil from last year? Does it, like, carry over into this week? Does it, like... You know, get you, light a fire up in you guys to like go out there and beat this team when what many people thought should have been a game that you guys won. And he basically said, you know, a lot of people would just tell you, you know, on to the next game. You know, it's just we take it one game at a time. But he ultimately said, like, yeah, we we all recognized last year that that was a winnable game at many points during the the game. He's like, so, you know, we're gonna go in there with a presence of knowing that and just kind of adding that to whatever else they've learned in the preparation, all that stuff. So I think that they have a little bit of that behind them too. All right, all right, guys. I'm sorry, and I hate to be this guy, but I got to bring up the elephant in the room. Chris, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. If we beat Michigan, are we getting college game oh day God. next week? This oh. again. This again. <sighs> my favorite no, conversation. Wait, I, try to be, I try to be Mr. Pragmatic around here, but I also don't want to be a I know what kill. you thought I was going to bring up. That's why I said it. My favorite way, conversation. Is it not a conversation <laughs> we should have? No, it definitely I, is. I mean, we could. I just... I just don't think they're beating Michigan. I'm sorry. That's fair. Like, no, and I think that's fair. I mean, this is this is a different Michigan team. I'll say that. The Michigan of the past couple of years has been, you know, oh, they're going to go 7-5. and five. It's John Harbaugh. This Michigan team has a chance to win 10 games, go to the New Year's Six Bowl. I am not debating that at all. But yeah. if Rutgers wins, first of all, it's a program-changing win. It, it, oh, no question. If, no if, question. If Rutgers wins, they're ranked. Yes, they're ranked next week. It's, I would. It depends how they was, win the game, but oh, I would say so. When's would, the last time they were ranked? No, I was going to say when was the last time we beat a ranked opponent on the road? Oh, oh on know. the road? Oh man, oh, I maybe, gotta, nonetheless maybe the North big Carolina, house. North Carolina, twenty fourteen, Meineke Quick Care Bowl. I think that game was. Well, in that's one not a road. Carolinas. That's a neutral site. That's neutral site. Um, it was in Detroit. 
It's like the worst look, place to I'll, be in December. <laughs> I'll say this. Um, I've noticed a lot, lot since you know I've started in Rutgers Media that a lot of a lot of people in Rutgers Media like to get ahead of themselves sometimes. And I love all you no. guys. Yes, we do. Yes, no. we do. I, lo- no I love all you guys. So I've never seen br- that. It's our look, bread and butter. I'll say. I'll say. This is a moment of us like you know pump the brakes. Let's go beat Michigan, and then we can worry about game day because this is not a lock at all. And then I noticed it also in March Madness. I read somewhere. Like, you know, oh, you know, Syracuse won, like, the night before, I think, we played, and we're, some people were saying, like, oh, let's take care of business against Houston. And I'm like, okay, Houston's the number two seed in that region. You know, we, it's not, we're not the favorite team. We have to go in, we have to go in and take this game. We shouldn't take care of business against Houston. So, just pump the brakes. Let's Let's see what happens, and then we can worry about game day afterwards. So I'm hearing a lot of, uh, as a wise man once said, not so fast, my friend. Um, <laughs> so. well, well, to answer the question, I, I forget who asked when was the last time they won a, versus a ranked opponent on the road. I, I couldn't find you an exact answer, but all I can say is back in 2016, there was an article published on NJ.com saying Rutgers versus number four overall Michigan um, looking for their first ranked opponent win since 2009. So I don't know if that includes home and away games or Let just in see. general. Right, I'm pulling up the schedule right oh, now. Two, 2009 that's schedule. It's 12 up. years. If that's that was the, the last time we were favored uh, on the road uh, against a Power 5 school. Against a Power 5 school when we were favored on the road. Um, and they had to be ranked or you're just mean in general? Ranked. A ranked opponent on the road last time we were. Uh, I don't know no, if, it, don't know if went, it's ever happened. We went um, one and two against ranked teams in 2009. The only win was against South Florida. Yeah, number two. I remember that was I a big win. I think the craziest part that of that game. stat was South Florida used to be ranked. Um, number two as that was well. A, that, not, no, that, not was that was 2007. Oh, 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 yeah. 2009, they were number 24, but then we lost at Syracuse and then home against West Virginia. So let me let me do some digging here. Oh, it was 2008. Our last road ranked Rutgers victory. started the season one and five. They beat UConn the previous week at home, and then they beat number 17 Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. Wow. October 25th. Rough loss for Pittsburgh. Usually that'd be Pittsburgh. Usually that'd be Pittsburgh one and five beating a ranked team. That's really what that's Clemson. That's kind yeah. of their whole thing. That's their thing in the ACC. They, they'll It'd be play. our thing too if we were in the ACC. Pittsburgh is like that one and five team. And then the couple years where Miami like doesn't play Alabama week one, they start out five and oh, and they lose to Pitt. At, at Heinz in like the middle of October. <laughs> no, the best was when they when they beat them uh, there when it was like twenty percent full on day after Thanksgiving noon <laughs> kickoff ESPN the Ocho like that was oh, ESPN the Ocho yeah. everything that's almost a sport we've got it. <laughs> <laughs> there was one year where and I know this I don't want this to turn into a pit conversation but there was one year they beat Clemson on I think like a fifty three yard field goal or something. I remember that that was a great high, high, high scoring game. It was like forty nine forty six. Yeah, it was it was nuts. Like and it was in Clemson too. Like I think was it was it um what's his face um the guy who always throws interceptions who's on the Raiders now Eric Carr. No, no, he's good this Nathan year so Peterman. far. Nathan Peterman. Oh, Nathan he was Peterman. the quarterback then, right? <laughs> Derek Carr. Nathan Peterman he was the quarterback then, year. right? I think so. I'm pretty sure. I mean, he's the last pit quarterback I remember. Yeah. Was 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 Tom Savage a pit quarterback for like six months? I think he transferred from from either us to them or the other way around. I forget which way it was. I I mean, he was at Rutgers. He was, was at Kansas. No, he wasn't at Kansas. He was at Arizona. He would, he didn't go to Kansas. I don't think he did. No, he that, ended up at like six different schools. Who, Tom Savage. Yeah. Also played basketball too. 
Imagine having. I know a, that. Imagine having. Although a, that was a joke, there was a Tom Savage on the Rutgers basketball team in like 1988. Imagine <laughs> having a quarterback that previously played basketball. You know, couldn't 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 be Rutgers. You know, he's not a quarterback, but Antonio Gates played basketball. Antonio Gates Ooh. did play basketball. I mean, basketball is just like a sport that I think translates well to certain positions. Jimmy no? Graham played basketball. Yeah. Mainly, mainly tight ends. You was notice. it well, was it Noah Vedral uh, an NCAA tournament qualifier as a basketball player? The University of no, Nebraska. No, he was um, he was on the bench uh, for the uh, Big Ten tournament game Nebraska played the night before the Big Ten tournament got canceled. Okay, so I got Tom Savage's information up. So the football one. Yes. Okay. Okay, so started out at Rutgers in 2009. Um, he had a pretty good freshman year. Then. In 2010, he got replaced by Chase Dodd when he got hurt, or Chaz Dodd. Um, I don't want to remember Chase Dodd. <laughs> there, Sav- there are some Chase Dodd hype videos on YouTube if you look deep enough. That's absolutely amazing. <laughs> that guy, what, are they are they like 30 second long videos? No, it's like all the UConn game. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Chase absolutely Dodd, incredible. Um, so he was granted a conditional release. He transferred to Arizona. He missed the season. And then he was eligible to, well, like, because the transfer rules used to be that you were out of season. You know, none of this, uh, none of this waiver stuff. But, so, didn't play at Arizona because they hired Rich Rodriguez, which I get it. Um, and then in June of that year, he announced that he was transferring to Pittsburgh. He got redshirted in 2012. Um, then he tried to play at Rutgers again. And then he ended up playing one season at Pittsburgh and then got drafted by the Texans. So, Rutgers made that same mistake, mistake twice. So he had a three-year gap between his sophomore season at 2010 and his junior year was in 2013 at Pittsburgh. So he basically <laughs> was redshirted like two years in a row. Different coaches, though. Shiano left in 2011, and 13 was flood. Well, he right? was gone by 2011. Yeah, he, Second it, best. Well, he coach. left to the Bucks. After, no, it was after 2011, Dale. And that's yeah, when he got hired. and then in 20, like in 2011, Arizona like hired Rich Rodriguez, which. You know, if if my if my team hired Rich Rodriguez after his Michigan performance, I would have uh, probably done something about that as well. Yeah, but I mean, look, he was able to make the NFL despite having a uh, a three year gap. So I don't know. Maybe I still have a rugby career in me. Maybe maybe I'll last <laughs> twenty eighteen. Like like <laughs> what you're telling me is Tom Savage was Joe Burrow before Joe Burrow, bouncing around everywhere. And uh, then having- no, well, no, but yeah. Joe Burrow's actually good. And he didn't throw 70 touchdowns Go in a season. Or win a national championship. But, yeah. but he, close, yes. He didn't have the greatest passing season <laughs> he, in the history he had of college the same, football. He had the same career arc. He's like Fitzpatrick. Just I went think everywhere. you're discrediting Ryan Fitzpatrick, I'm going to be quite honest. I love Fitzpatrick, but... I do too. And I think... I, think, I, think I feel Chris, bad that he got hurt. I think Chris should be the biggest Fitzpatrick fan here. No. No, but he, he stole money isn't. from the New York Jets. Stole money from the New York Jets. <laughs> He's stolen money from about 17 of the franchise. Literally the, the entire NFL. league. He's just a bag man. He just goes from team to team, collects <laughs> the bag, and phones it in. Uh, and also, his beard is so overrated. I think that beard is disgusting. I, I don't think it's any good. I don't think it's cool. It's I don't probably think it's charming. Not, it's probably it's disgusting. not. It's probably gross. I like, it's probably pretty gross. Like, you went to Harvard. Most people who go to Harvard contribute something to society, but not Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> I think the funny uh, he, He's just a cancer. He, he contributes on he NFL organizations. He NFL MVP every three. <laughs> he contributes the NFL MVP for the first three weeks of every season most of the time. I think the funny thing about Fitzpatrick is that he has like the highest Wonderlick score of like any NFL player. Because he went to Harvard. That doesn't matter. I mean, it helps. 
A lot of uh. Lot yeah, of why did that siren sound like one of those? Uh, I forget what they're called. Like where you where you blow into it and you pull like down the metal wire for a second and you go back a and forth. A slide whistle. Yeah, it sounded like that a for a second. A slide whistle. Yeah, that's what it sounded like for a Absolutely second. Absolutely amazing. Welcome back to the WRSU crew. Chris Akonis along with Dylan Allen, Dylan McCoy, and Jack Basaya. And right now we've got a very special guest uh, joining us on the phone. Rutgers Women's Soccer Associate Head Coach Megan Ryan Nemzer uh, is happy to spend a few minutes with us. We're happy to have her on. Coach, really appreciate you spending a few minutes out of your Wednesday uh, to talk to us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. Happy to do it. Um, so I guess I'll just start off with the big picture. Uh, you guys got a big ranked win this weekend against number eight Penn State back at your sack field. And now you guys are back to number nine in the national rankings with the 7-2-0 record at this point in the season. Uh, how has this team been able to have that kind of sustained success uh, where they're at a point where they're top 10 in the country? Yeah, obviously that was a big win for us. And, you know, we spoke about the next game being, you know, the big game for us and, uh, they had a great week of energy. They were really focused, um, and that was their focus the whole entire week, was just preparing for our first Big Ten match, um, and it happened to be Penn State. So it was a great win for us, but we spoke about it the whole entire time at, at training is that we bend, but we do not break, and they really stuck together. It was a great team win. And one thing that stands out when watching and covering this year's team is the attack. You guys have, uh, according to the stats here, 31 goals in the first nine games of the season. You're averaging close to 3.88 goals per game. Uh, How's this team been so dynamic in terms of being able to put the ball in the back of the net so often? I think the biggest thing with this team is that, uh, you know, the coaching staff spoke about it and the the depth that we have um, is probably the most talented team um, in program history, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we feel like we have several goal scorers that, you know, we talk about it all the time is that we can't just have one, two, three, you know, everyone that comes on is a goal scorer. I um, mean, they really have embraced that. Um, obviously, you have great leadership on the team, um, great returning players with uh, Amira and Frankie up there and, and Sammy. And um, but you have some, some great freshmen in there as well that are coming in and, and adding a lot of depth as well. Um, but the thing that, you know, we really do love is that they're coaching each other. You know, during training, they're they're talking to each other, they're learning each other. Uh, the relationships are growing with every game. One of the key additions to your side in the offseason was Frankie Talia Ferry, someone who had really established herself as one of the best players in college soccer during her time at Penn State. Uh, what was it like bringing her into the program and integrating her with the other players in the offseason? And to build off of that, how has she changed what you guys can do as a unit? I think what Frankie adds is obviously um, the experience, you know, playing four years in the Big Ten. Um, but the thing that, you know, Frankie made it very clear is that she wanted to come in and learn from the players that are here and, uh, and obviously add value um, of whatever she could do. And she came in and was a great team player and said, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jersey girl. I want to come home. Um, anything that I can do to help out this team. Um, I, I also want to learn as well. And I think she's come in and, and has done that really, really well. You know, she's coming in and, and teaching the youngsters her experience, um, but she's learning from the youngsters as well. So really, really good uh, addition with her, um, and, and obviously her leadership as well. 
Defensively, teams allowed just seven goals on the season so far, and, and you have a pretty experienced group on the de- defensive side of the ball. Players like Megan McClellan in goal, Gabby Provenzano, Allison Lynch in the back line. Um, how much does having that veteran leadership uh, in that unit contribute to the group's success, and what does that mean as you head into the bulk of Big Ten play? Yeah, we love clean sheets. You know, we talk about it every every day, you know, whether it's in training, uh, at games, and that's always been our biggest goal is we talk about no service, no shots, no goals, and it's just not the back line. It's just not Meg and, and the goal, but it's everyone. You know, our, our first line of defense is our forwards up there, and then obviously our midfielders and backs, um, but they really have bought into it. Um, the leadership that you get, the vocal leadership with, um, you know, the captains, with Gabby Shea, Coley, Meg, and Amira, with all of them, you know, teaching everyone. Um, but we always talk about, you know, we want to get shutouts. We sort of, we've been known for a uh, team that doesn't give up goals, and we want to continue with that. But their vocal leadership is massive, especially with the youngsters on, on the field. Michigan coming into this matchup ranked number 18 in the country. They've won three of their last four games, usually uh, a team that uh, contends for the top uh, spots in the Big Ten uh, standings at the end of each year. So what kind of challenge do you guys expect from them tomorrow night? They're a very uh, well-coached team. Um, you know, they like to play soccer. We like to play soccer. So we always, you know, circle them on our on our uh, schedule. We always feel like it's going to be a great soccer game. Um, they have some some talented players uh, that are also have a lot of experience. Um, so once again, it's about us, and, and it's always going to be about us. And we just talk about keeping the ball, and everyone's defending, everyone's attacking, and, and coming up with a game plan and sticking to it. I think that's been the success of this team. And last season was by no means a normal season. Uh, Start had to be pushed back from August to February. Schedule was shortened to just a Big Ten-only slate. Uh, And you obviously have to deal with the various protocols involved, uh, no fans in the stands, all all that kind of stuff. So um, how was the group? um, I know you guys return a pretty sizable chunk of your roster. Um, How was the group able to battle through that adversity? And what kind of effect did it have in terms of how they approached this season? I think they were just excited to to be able to, like you said, to have a normal season, to be able to spend time with each other, you know, and and, the spring, there was a lot of protocols that we had to follow. And, uh, you know, the coaching staff was so impressed with how they followed it, you know, because they realized once again, that it wasn't just their choices. It it, it did affect everyone. Um, So they, the the leadership did a great job of creating this bubble, staying with the bubble. and, And that really allowed our success in the spring. Um, and now I think, you know, just to be able to have team activities, to have team meals and to be able to see your family and friends in the stands, I just think that they appreciate it so much more um, and they cherish every moment. So really, I think because of the spring, this team has really become close and, and really has become a family um, because they don't take anything for granted. Coach, you know, we talked, Rutgers has definitely returned a lot of experience, but at the same time, much of the freshman class got playing time. Uh, notably, Riley Tiernan has really uh, shown out in her first season um, what does the ability for the freshmen to adapt to the program say about them? And, you know, what do you personally think their potential is uh, at Rutgers? You know, Riley's actually been, I don't, know, I don't know if you guys know this, but her older sister, Madison, played at Rutgers as well. So we have pictures of Riley being around the Rutgers program since she was like seven or eight. Um, so she really has, has come in and, and stepped up and, you know, she only knew Rutgers. And I think that's the biggest thing. She came in and knew how we wanted to play and knew the expectations, knew the standard. Um, but that's with every freshman. You know, they, they come from very high-level club teams. Um, you know, they've been, you know, National Gatorade Players of the Year, been, you know, all-conference, all-county. 
Um, and the list goes on and on, all Americans as well. Um, so, you know, they, they had that experience, maybe not so much at the collegiate level, but they've been in big-time games. They've played at the next level. Um, so that experience, once again, just a mixture of the leadership that's been on the team and, and the freshmen that have come in and, and have had that experience, whether it's in high school or in club, has really allowed this team to be successful. And I guess just to sort of wrap this all up, Coach, um, you know, what is the key to this team maintaining this level of success and this level of form uh, as we now get into the bulk of the Big Ten schedule? And, you know, we're now about six or seven weeks away from uh, postseason play. Yeah, I think, you know, we always talk about it. It should, the focus should always be about us. But our motto this year is 28 strong, you know, and, and you know, we, we come in and talk about the game plan and they're just all invested. You know, they realize that, whoever uh, needs to step up for the next game, they're ready. And I think that's what makes this team, you know, very, very dangerous is that, you know, it's just not 11 players. It's the whole entire team. It's 28 strong that understand how we want to play, how we want to defend. Um, you know, we really don't feel like we have subs. We have game changers. And that's when we come on is, you know, maybe, uh, you know, someone's getting tired and someone else comes on and they're adding that energy for us. And I think that's what makes this team so special is that everyone's bought in. Everyone understands their role. Um, and just wants to win at the end of the day. Rutgers women's soccer head associate head coach Megan Ryan Nemzer, really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us here on the crew, and you know, best of luck to you guys tomorrow. Thank you so much. All right, that was Rutgers Women's Soccer Associate Head Coach Megan Ryan Nemzer joining us for a few minutes here on the WRSU Crew. If you missed that interview, no worries. You can catch it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, basically any podcast service. Uh, you can go ahead and listen to it. We'll have it up as soon as the show ends. And um, for soccer fans, you're going to want to stick around because in about 20 minutes, we're going to have Rutgers Men's Soccer Head Coach Jim McKeldry um, calling into us, and you know we'll get to talk to him for a few minutes. So a very soccer-heavy show, which... Um, as my New York Red Bulls jersey can tell you, I'm pretty happy about. So, Locks of the Night here yes. on WRSU. How about that, Dylan McCoy? Woo! I'm excited. We had to get our, our picks in in between the two interviews here. We just had uh, Rutgers Women's Soccer Associate Head Coach Megan Ryan Nemzer on just a few minutes ago. If you missed that interview, you can catch it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have it up after the show. Uh, and in about 15 minutes, we're going to be talking to Rutgers Men's Soccer Head Coach Jim McKeldry. So definitely looking forward to that and, you know, just getting some more soccer talk in here, which I always love to do. But... We're going to go to our locks of the night segment, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Dylan McCoy has a lock ready. I uh, do. I do. Course, I don't know. I don't do. know how you knew that. Like, we're not in the same room. You can't see my phone. I, I think it's just like telepathy at this point. Yeah, well, I, I think I just know you. Like, we've been friends since freshman year. I, I just know yeah. you at this point. Yeah, and you're my boss. I'm your boss. You know, very, very all, interesting all that, relationship. All that good stuff. <laughs> um, but I do have a lock. It's going to come from the college football world. So, Saturday. Obviously, Rutgers-Michigan is probably the biggest game on the slate, but the second biggest game on the slate takes place in Chicago, Notre Dame-Wisconsin at Soldier Field. And, you know, I understand that ND had two very close games to begin the season, but the disrespect being shown by Las Vegas is absolutely atrocious. Notre Dame is a a six-and-a-half-point underdog against Wisconsin, who hasn't shown me too much this season. I'm going to be honest, so... Notre Dame, plus six and a half. I think that's a lock. Honestly, Moneyline, plus 200. 
you know, you're doubling your money if you win, and you're going to win because Notre Dame's going to win. So I think that's pretty safe. You know, I am pretty sure that Notre Dame's going to win. You know, uh, I'm basically Jordan Belfort giving you financial advice. You want to take it. (laughs) Or, you know what, maybe actually I should rephrase that. You wouldn't want to take his financial advice. But... (laughs) Notre Dame plus 200, lock, Ooh. lock it in. Lock it in. W, Jack Cohn comes back to Wisconsin, throws for 450 on his old team. <laughs> it's going to happen. I guess Vegas doesn't believe in the good old revenge game theory, huh? Uh, it, Vegas hasn't gotten to that yet. I don't I know mean, why. Toledo, Wisconsin, basically the same thing. Survive. Like, yeah. a, a wise former Rutgers basketball coach once said, survive in advance, Chris. Survive in advance. Okay. Okay. Well, here's the one thing I will say to that. You said Wisconsin really hasn't impressed you all this year. Well, I'll just remind you, week one, they had to play Penn State, and they lost 16-10. to Penn State's ranked sixth now in the country. Uh, and Notre Dame has basically given up every every <laughs> like more points than Rutgers, I'd say. And they haven't, they've played maybe, what was their best game so far? They've played Florida State, I guess, and they're 0-3. I and they, would say their best game is probably Purdue. Purdue. They beat last week by two touchdowns. Yeah, and I don't know how good Purdue is. So it's like I look at that matchup, and I think Notre Dame will win. I'm just saying Wisconsin definitely showed me something that first week against Penn State. But um, I guess I'll go next then, I guess. Yeah, you got it. All right, weird. All right. Well, for tonight, I'm going to go with the Yankees, their money line. I think they outright win the game against the Texas Rangers. They have Corey Kluber on the mound. Um Listen, I'll keep it short and sweet. The Yankees are in must-win baseball form right now. They basically need to win the remes- as many games as they can as the season comes to a close. Um, they This is their last game against the Rangers in a three-game set at home, and then they take a four-game road trip up to Toronto and then go for a three-game set in Boston and then three games back at home against the Rays. So they have a really tough schedule uh, to close out the year, but I think that the Yankees are in that kind of form now, coming off two wins against the Rangers last couple nights. I think that they secure the sweep tonight. I would say that's your best bet. It's not you won't get the best odds. It's minus two seventy for their for them to win the game outright. But you know it is a lock show, so I will give you something that I think will actually win. Okay, all right, I like that. Trying to make money for our listeners while they wait patiently for the next uh, soccer coach interview that we have scheduled in twelve minutes. I like that. I like that. Um, I've got a lock here. Indiana, Western Kentucky. It already sounds like a lock. So Chris. Western Kentucky's <laughs> winning? Well, do you know what you guys want to guess what the line is? Obviously, Indiana favorite. Do you want to know what the line is in that game? I'm going to say like 18 and a half. Okay. Western Kentucky, Indiana, you said? Yes. How many points are Indiana favorite? I'm going to say at least 20. 20. All right, Jack? I'm going to take it over to the NFL world. And before I talk about the game, I'm no, no, I was asking you. No, no, you, I, you didn't hear me. I, I said um, Indiana, Western Kentucky. How many points do you think Indiana is favored by? Oh, sorry. I'm <laughs> no, sorry you're fine. You're that. fine. You're look, fine. I was looking at my computer. No, no. He had, um, his, he had his mic on, too, and you couldn't hear me. It's all good. What, what, how many think? points Indiana is favored by Western Kentucky? Yes. Over 10. You were the closest one. Indiana's favored by nine points. Nine points against Western Kentucky. Oh, what a poverty program that team has become. One year fraud. Oh, no, I think they're covering, Dylan. They One are year covering fraud. that spread. They are I would covering hope so. that spread. I would hope so. Even I, I mean, they're still a very talented program. I know that they started off the season a bit disappointingly, losing two of their first three, but 
you know, they're going to be playing angry in this game. You know, that, if you lose the third game, you're basically out of any major bowl contention. Like, your your best bet is the pinstripe bowl. So, you know, <laughs> Indiana's going to want to come out fighting, come out with that kind of anger. Um, and I think they're going to win that game. I'm, I'm taking Indiana minus nine. I think that's as close to a lock in a Big Ten uh, Sunbelt uh, matchup as you're going to find. So If they don't cover that, Chris, Fraud program. If they don't cover that, I'm taking Rutgers at Indiana money line. So, yeah, you know, exactly. Will this will Rutgers Indiana football turn into Rutgers Indiana basketball? This this uh this media member can only hope so. <laughs> uh, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um, but Archie Miller ain't walking back through that door. So. <laughs> All right, Jack. You said you wanted to do an NFL lock. Yeah. Now I'm going to do an NFL All lock. Right. Um. There's one game that I want to talk about in particular, but first, before I say that, I'm looking at the betting lines for this Sunday, and there's one that's significantly higher than anyone else on the point spread, and it's, Chris, it's your New York Jets at the Denver Broncos. Denver is favored by 10.5 points, the only double-digit NFL line of the weekend. (laughs) So I just wanted to point that out because, you know, we have loyal Jets fans here on the uh, radio right now. Um, but I do want to talk about America's Game of the Week on Sunday, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and L.A. Rams in L.A. Believe it or not, Tom Brady's first professional game in Lo- in the city of Los Angeles. His, in, yeah. his entire professional career, he hasn't played a game in the city of Los Angeles. <laughs> that sounds about right. I hit the talk to FM button as if we were talking off air because I'm an idiot. But, um, yeah, no, that sounds about right. I mean, look, they, they haven't had the Super Bowl there yet. Is it in there this year? It is. It, it is. is. That's what I thought. I knew, I knew they had it coming up because so they have that play, new stadium. He'll play there twice this year then? Well, yes. Is what you're saying? I mean, it's going to turn into college football. <laughs> We're going to have like Alabama-Clemson every year. That's going to be the Buccaneers and, oh, the, yeah, uh, great. and the Chiefs, you know. But this game has shifted a lot. I think the Rams started as favorites, but now it's shifted all the way to Tampa Bay minus one and a half. And I actually like that. I would take the Bucks on that because the Bucks offense has not been stopped. They put up like 38 points against the Falcons the other night or the other afternoon, and I don't see any way that the Rams are able to stop that offense. I don't see any way any defense can stop that offense once they get humming. And I think the performance against the Cowboys, as much as it hurts still, that's going to be their worst performance the entire year, barring injuries. They're only going to get better. I mean, Tom Brady is like, turned back the clock. He's He looks like he's 22 years old out there, for God's sake. I mean, you know, the Bucks. as much as that first opening loss against the Cowboys – really hurt me. The Bucks are an amazing team. And I think the Rams have been playing really well as well, but the Bucks are just on a different level. People treated me like I was a madman when I had Tom Brady as my fantasy quarterback. And I just <laughs> I just for the life of me, I did not understand it. I, I said to myself, I'm like, this guy is not Twenty years of him clowning the Jets year in almost year in and year out. We did get that one win in Foxborough, Mark Sanchez. Um <laughs> you know I'm sorry, it's seared into my memory. I'm convinced that this man is going to be playing quarterback at an elite level until I have a kid at Rutgers. So <laughs> I, I'm just, I don't know. Every year people say this is the year he falls off. I don't see it. I think, you know, that team is in all likelihood, unless, you know, I mean, who else in the NFC would give it? Maybe the Rams, um, maybe we see a rematch in the playoffs. I'm trying to think who else. Maybe could, like, Aaron Rodgers, but I mean. Maybe. But, but I mean, I, and of course, we are going off a two-week sample size, but. Every um, every one of those teams have looked a bit inconsistent, so I think it's too early to say for you're, sure. But you're forgetting Ray and Dakota Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, that's right. Oh, I'm not forgetting. No, 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 no. I will say this again. I want to emphasize: <laughs> I'm the only other person on this show. I am not a cowboy hater. My freshman well, roommate was a cowboy fan. Uh, some of my best friends are cowboy fans. So I don't like the Cowboys. I don't dislike them. I'm indifferent. 
I will say this. I think you have an offense that is good enough to win a Super Bowl. I think, you know, Dak Prescott, elite quarterback. You've got good receivers. You've got a good O-line. You've, you've got all the off- offensive side of the ball all figured out. The defense is the big question mark for, for them. And if they can get, even if it's like a league average defense, I mean, where were you guys ranked last year? Do you know what the yardage it was? was bad. You don't want to know. Okay, I'm guessing. <laughs> I don't even five. know if you could call it a cre- question mark, Chris. It's like an upside down exclamation point. The defense, it's uh, <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. Okay, all right, but my my point is, their offense is good enough that even if they have like a league average, like middle of the pack defense, that should be enough for them to be a contender. Yeah. So, but I think you know the hardest thing to get, the two hardest things to get on a football team are an elite quarterback and elite offensive line. You have both. Um, so it's just a question of getting the other things to click. And if they do, the Cowboys are going to be a team that's going to be slept on. Hey, D.A. and McCoy, there's another NFC team that I thought I think we're forgetting about. Nah, I don't think you even need to mention We'll, them, we'll contend honestly. for the first pick. <laughs> yeah, we might have two top ten picks, which would be great. <laughs> but that's about all we can hope for. Listen, you know? all I hope is that they win this week against Atlanta when Eli has his whole ceremony. Oh, we're if beating they, Atlanta. If they lose that game with the ceremony at halftime and the fact that it's the Falcons, one of like the worst defenses in the league, uh, season's over. If we lose to Atlanta, there's a very there's a very good possibility we go 0-17. And I'm, and I'm not joking. Yeah. I'm and, not joking. And the issue with that is it's not like there's a Trevor Lawrence on the other side of that to be like, all right, well, at least we'd get, like, one of the best prospects uh, there's a in recent Spencer history. There's a Spencer Rattler. Excuse me. Oh, man. What don't don't even get me started with that guy. That guy is overrated. No, you know who's overrated? Sam Howell is overrated. Yes. That, this whole QB class is overrated. That's why I hope they do decently well because they're not going to draft – if because they're going to force a draft pick like they did again with, with Daniel Jones because the fans were unhappy – with Eli, whatever it is, the fans were unhappy. They 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 forced their way into selecting a quarterback, and they could have waited a year to get Herbert. If you remember, the year after they had the fourth pick, and the year that everyone thought they were going to draft a quarterback, you all you got were reports saying that Gettleman was very high on Herbert. Then you then you saw Herbert was going to stay at school, and they forced a draft pick of Daniel Jones. And I'm afraid they'll make the same mistake again. I mean, I could always send over some Sam Howell tape. They get the all 22 <laughs> over to you, and I think we can uh, um, get that to work if, if you guys are interested. I mean, I think three years ago, I thought uh, Keaton Slovis was going to be one of the top picks <laughs> in this draft, and uh, that clearly hasn't worked out. You know, much like Matt Barkley or John David Booty or any quarterback at USC for the past 25 years, that's I mean, not Carson Palmer. Remember what I said about scouting the helmet? I, I know the record I isn't good, it. but it only takes one. It only takes one. <sighs> Clemson did not have a good um, quarterback record at all before Watson came. That's fair. Same thing with well, who was their best Georgia and, Matt, for Georgia and Matthew Taj Stafford. Boyd? I, I guess. I don't even know. I remember Taj Boyd. Or, you know, if Mac Jones turns out to be a big thing, Alabama Ooh. with Mac Jones. Like what? Uh, Greg McElroy, Jets starting quarterback for half a game. <laughs> uh, AJ McCarron, the oh, man right. who probably had his girlfriend talked about the most during any national championship yeah, that game was, ever. That was, a little, that was a little weird. I mean, but. Brett Musburger, you know, typical old man, I oh, guess. Man. I don't know. All right. Um, we're going to go to break now. We've got Jim McKeldry <laughs> coming up on the other side, so you're going to want to keep it locked here. You're listening to the Wednesday Crew on WRSU-FM, New Brunswick.